on a residential side, you have a different set of problems because the Airbnb thing uh, during the pandemic, those places that were open, like where I live now, uh, they had almost no damage at all. And in fact, their their rental income was, was at record highs, in many cases, doubling or tripling. And so as a result, the the price of those properties went to the moon. Well, all that's gone now. And and we're seeing, I mean, I saw a report the other day. It said it, this specific area was number one on decrease, uh, more mm-hmm. than 50%. Okay, so you have all these properties that are, have been out on the market People have sold them in many cases for outrageously high valuations. And now the rental income is just not there to support it. So if those people paid cash, uh, they're going to lose a lot of money. If they financed those acquisitions, uh, they're done because you're not going to be able to make the good. You're not going to be able to make the notes on those. Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have returning guests, Mr. Carl Denninger, back on the channel. Carl is a finance blogger that shares his concerns on the financial markets at market-ticker.org. And today, he's joining us to share his thoughts on the economy, financial markets, as well as possible forecasts for the remainder of this year. So, Carl, welcome back to RTD interviews. Thank you. I appreciate you taking time to join me, as always. It's always good to connect with you and to get your thoughts and analysis on what's currently happening right now, as well as future projections, just to give people a more well-rounded approach to uh, how to navigate these, uh, I guess, troubling, concerning times that we're living in now. But uh, for those who may not be familiar with you, would you mind giving us a brief background as to how you got into the financial analysis realm and things of that nature? Well, I ran a company in the 1990s during the internet bubble. I was uh, mm-hmm. chief executive officer of MCSnet, uh, actually Macro Computer Solutions Incorporated, if you want to be formal about it. Uh, we sold service throughout the greater Chicagoland area during the 1990s, and uh, the firm was acquired by Windstar Communications in 1998. So needless to say, when you're running a multi-million dollar corporation, you have to be plugged into what's going on in the economy, or you're going to get buried. And as a result, it kind of goes along with the territory that you you become an economist, whether you want to be one or not. And I'd always found it interesting uh, as a as a computer programmer and uh, and systems person. Um, can't use the word engineer because you have to have a degree in order to do that uh, in a related field. And and you know, engineering is one of those buzzwords that people use these days and shouldn't because they don't know what they're doing. But the reality of, of the economy is that uh, much of what happens from a cyclical nature is, in fact, predicated upon uh, both human hubris and also what the government does to interfere in it, because they always put their finger on the scale in some way. And so uh, when the 06, 07 timeframe came around, uh, and I had been witness to all the game playing that had gone on in the real estate market. Uh, down in Florida. I lived in the Panhandle at the time. <laughs> I said, uh, there's going to be a problem here. <laughs> and, and and of course, we all know what happened in 2008, right? So there, there was a problem. Um, the, pro- the problem we have today is much worse. And we haven't done anything about the root causes. In fact, we've accelerated. Uh, and when the government thinks that there's something bad coming, uh, their answer is always to try to prevent it. It's never, it is never that. Well, you did foolish things. We we need to take our lumps. That price needs to be paid, 
And when it is, we'll be a stronger and better nation. Uh, no, it's always, especially when it's the, the wealthy and powerful who are about to get their heads cut off, uh, they step in and save them and don't care what happens to the people at the bottom, you know, in the, in the bottom part. And you have different names for it. You know, we, we called it trickle-down economics for a while and, you know, filling out, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. And, and that is true to some extent. Um, however, there's a little bit of a difference when uh, at, at the same time the tide's going up and the, uh, the people who do not want to see anyone else succeed uh, add extra bricks to your boat every time that the water goes up a little bit. <laughs> eventually, eventually, they put enough bricks in the boat that it sinks. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that seems to be you know, more or less the, the outcome that we've had uh, you know, here in the United States uh, and, in fact, on a worldwide basis. Uh, for an awful lot of the population. And so that's kind of how it, uh, it it got started and how it has ended up what it is today. Uh, I write on uh, various uh, sets of topics. Some of them are in a, a, a side that has some advertising associated with it. And then there's, uh, after the crazy started in 2020, uh, I was essentially forced, if I wanted to continue to have any advertising at all, uh, to put some of the content on a side that is... Uh, is what they don't want you to read, which has no no outside links and monetization at all. And the reason being that uh, the, the collusion, which, by the way, was just stepped on by a federal judge. Uh, thank you very little. T- three years too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, has now, uh, you know, has 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 now forced that. And the sad part of that is that that has forced off the public stage many areas of discourse that we really ought to be talking about. Uh, yeah. so, I mean, it's, it, and it's an economic problem much more than it is a, just a social problem. I mean, people, you know, people don't want to talk about the social side of things, uh, in many ways, but there's also an awful lot of that that is tied into the economic uh, aspects of our lives. And, and we should be having those conversations because they're important. Yeah. Yeah, I do agree. And so definitely looking forward to getting your thoughts on a variety of subjects here. So today I have several articles pulled up that I'm going to actually get your opinion and thoughts on. But before we dive into some of those more specific things, what I guess at this current moment, based upon some of your writings and what you're focusing on the most, what would you say the American people needs to need to know about that is dire, dire, important emergency emergent right now, according to well, what you were looking at? Yeah, I think the most important thing to keep in mind at the, at the, in the immediate future is that over the last three years, uh, we have added uh, 70% roughly um, to the size of our government. And we did this allegedly in response to this nasty little virus that showed up about three years ago. And as a temporary measure, you can argue whether or not we should have done any of these things, but we did do them. Problem is, the nasty little virus is no longer a public health emergency. Uh, Really, it wasn't destined to be for more than a year or so anyway. We turned it into a three-year emergency, and then we didn't withdraw any of that additional size of the federal government. So one has to ask whether or not the emergency was really about a virus or whether the emergency was about the impending collapse of several areas of the economy. And now you're seeing the outcome of those policy changes. Uh, they've certainly shown up in the grocery store. They've certainly shown up uh, in everything else you need to buy. Uh, and in some of the most egregious areas that have been going on for the last 30 years, specifically in the medical field, 
uh, they've gotten worse by by a substantial amount. And so you have uh, you on the one hand you have the squeeze coming from inflation, which was an intentional act. You now have people uh, making a big stink about the fact that oh you know M two is is coming down, and I know it's one of our you know it's one of our topics. Um, but gee, nobody's paying any attention to what happened to M two and the rate at which it was accelerating for the for that three year period, have they? Right. Or 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 for that matter, go go take a look at M two growth uh, all the way back to the nineteen nineties and tell me when when you think this problem actually started. Okay, this is not something that just showed up over the last six months. So yeah, I, my concern at this point is that I think we're on the cusp of of some very nasty foldback type effects in a number of areas, real estate being one of them, um, but certainly not the only one. And the government's uh, response to that sort of event has historically always been to try to inflate out of it, but you can't do it today because you're already looking at a situation where you're, you know, yeah, they say that inflation at the grocery store is, you know, is a 12% or 11% over the last you know, two years or whatever. That's absolute nonsense. Come on, everybody, everybody that's listening to this podcast knows that if you go into the grocery store and you and you put what used to be a hundred dollars worth of stuff in your basket it's 200 bucks not 115 okay so now i'm curious uh because you mentioned real estate so i want to jump right into that Mm -hmm. uh so commercial commercial real estate has been the most mainstream talked about subject matter based upon the current unraveling of all the commercial real estate banks and everything like that empty you know sky sky rises and every major metropolitan area is a concern but then also real estate a reference to the airbnb and the rental space market that's also looks like it's becoming more of a subject as well so i guess at this current moment what's more what's more dire the commercial real estate or the real estate as far as the rental space for airbnb and variable and things of that nature what are what are we going to experience first and foremost, in your opinion? Well, the the commercial side is extremely serious from the standpoint of those those entities that underwrote the structured products. Okay, the people mm-hmm. who bought those. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that that there's a lot of folks screaming about this being a banking problem. It's not. If you look at what typically gets underwritten by a bank when there is a commercial real estate loan. Uh, the loan to value that they're carrying is is typically under 50%. So in other words, you could have a commercial real estate uh, piece of property that loses half its value and the bank's fine. Okay. Now, person who had it built, uh, they may not be fine at all. <laughs> but but the bank is not in trouble because there's you know, there's still some value there. It's it's a building, it's it's physically present. Uh the people who put structured products together are in a different situation. They're looking at complete wipeouts. Uh, if you're holding that paper, you're in a lot of trouble. And uh, that's because the leverage that's in those those products is extremely high. So the probability that a huge percentage of the holders of, of that paper are going to get zeroed is very real. And, I, and I'm expecting that, you know, it's already starting in many areas. And there's a lot of game playing being done with regards to, oh, you know, we can't talk about that. We can't do that. That's not real. Well, yes, it is real. And it's it's going to be a serious issue. On a residential side, you have a different set of problems because the Airbnb thing, uh, during the pandemic, those places that were open, like where I live now, uh, they had almost no damage at all. And in fact, 
their their rental income was was at record highs in many cases doubling or tripling and so as a result the the price of those properties went to the moon well all that's gone now and and we're seeing i mean i saw a report the other day it said it, this specific area was number one on decrease uh more mm-hmm. than 50 percent okay so you have all these properties that are have been out on the market People have sold them in many cases for outrageously high valuations, and now the rental income is just not there to support it. So if those people paid cash, uh, they're going to lose a lot of money. If they financed those acquisitions, uh, they're done because you're not going to be able to make the you're not going to be able to make the notes on those. Um, and I know plenty of people that that 1031 did a real estate swap exchange, uh, which is a 1031 is a tax term. Uh, out of places like California because of what Gavin Newsom was doing out there and came into places like this. Uh, they did so essentially top-ticking the market. And, uh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. here it comes. And, I, and, and frankly, this needs to happen because Airbnb and VRBO uh, are just, when you really get down to it, it's just a skimming operation. These are, these are rentals that should be treated as any lodging house with all of the code compliance and costs associated with it. Uh, the whole reason that these, that these firms exist is because they're evading those responsibilities. I mean, you, you can't put a hotel up without, you know, having fire codes rated for, you know, for that higher grade as opposed to a house. And yet, uh, you know, all these Airbnbs and VRBOs, well, you know, there's 18 people in there. That's eh, no big deal. Well, yeah, it is. That's a small hotel. Okay. So, I mean, why aren't they held to the same standard? Well, they should be. Um, and then, of course, there's the people that are doing it that are dodging tax registration and you know, uh, bed taxes in places that have it. Most do. Uh, you know, you check into a hotel, uh, you don't just pay sales tax. Typically, there's a there's a tourism tax that's assessed on hotel rooms. And if you're running a lodging house, you're supposed to be collecting and remitting that. A lot of these people are not. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, like the industry, the rental industry that Airbnb and VRBO has. I guess, uh, uh, brought about a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, the, the real estate landscape changing, but then you're, you're kind of hinting at the fact that there's, uh, I guess, extra, uh, legislation slash things that they've been avoiding, which could help them, or that is a part of the reason why they're also suffering as well. No, explain that for me if you don't mind. It's the reason they exist. Okay. Airbnb and VRBO is basically an At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Arbitrage game. All of mm-hmm. the all the firms that do this. It's an arbitrage game on residential real estate. Okay. It mm-hmm. in in any it, the problem is when you arbitrage things like this, somebody gets screwed. And the people yeah. that are getting screwed are the people who need to live in a place in order to provide the services that that particular place you know offers out to the public. So when you destroy the lower end of the lodging space for those people by taking mm-hmm. supply off the market in this kind of a way, where does the bartender live? 
Right. Okay, okay, you come to a place like this and you want to go, you know, you want to go do the moonshine tour or you want to go to the amusement park or you want to, you know, you want to do whatever, you know, whatever it is that brings you into an area, okay, for tourism mm -hmm. or, or for business. And, and yet you are absolutely reliant on there being a gas station so that you could put fuel back in your car to get home. Okay, you're reliant on there being a server in that restaurant so you can get something to eat. You're reliant on all of these services that we all take for granted. And yet those people have to have somewhere to live. When you take the supply of what used to be residential housing and you turn it into rental units, you've bypassed the planning commission, you've bypassed any kind of city management, you've bypassed all of these things. And what you've done is constrict constrict supply and driven up the price because obviously renting a, a house for a week costs more on a per day basis than renting that same house for a year. Right. All right. So, you know, and they say, well, but it brings people in who spend money. Okay, fine. This is good. However, where do the people who provide those services live? The entire point of having a planning commission is so that there's some balance in this. Otherwise, why do we bother with it at all? And the only reason that these, these services exist is because they found a way to arbitrage this. Should it be legal? You know, we can argue over that, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is that it has produced enormous distortions in the housing market, none of them good for the people who live in those areas. Unless you're right. somebody who wants to sell and move somewhere else. Okay, I got you, I got you. So yeah, I, thanks for clarifying that. Now, clearly, you know the the real estate industry is going to go through some uh going to go through some tur turbulent times in, in the near future now based upon all the other things that's take, taking place because you mentioned also uh the the banking situation and how that's not really a direct relation to the commercial real estate it, you know it, it issues is coming but do you say the government will somehow get involved to help i guess backstop bailout or create a new pathway to to protect that particular industry or they're going to let that crumble down or, or, or it's gonna be something else to deal with along with that in the near future. They'd like to, they'd like to bail it out They always, I mean, that's historically been the pattern, right? Is that somebody mm -hmm. gets in trouble and it's someone that has a lot of money and Oh boy, here's the government. We're here to help you. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's certainly been our pattern over the last, you know, however many decades. So as long as I've been cognizant of such things on this rock, mm -hmm. um, the problem with doing it is that the way you do it is by diluting the currency. We have evaded the effects of that for a long time through our offshoring. And that, that door has now closed. Part of it is because of the sanctions situation related to Ukraine. But not all of it. Some of it is just the fact that we've taken all the jobs that can reasonably be offshored to China and Laos and Bangladesh and, you know, sewing clothes and, and you know, building chips and whatever. And those jobs that can be offshored have been offshored. Okay, well, now what's left? I, you can't offshore the guy that serves you a beer in a bar. Okay, that's not a choice. So would they like to do this? Yes. However, I don't think they're able to do this because if you do it now, it immediately comes back into inflation that everybody experiences. And... You know, we saw this during during the pandemic, okay? People got paid $600 a week on top of their ordinary unemployment, which they were, 
Regular unemployment is an insurance policy. You pay into it every single paycheck you get. You may not recognize it as that because the employer is prohibited from putting it on your check as, a, as an actual itemized thing on your stub. But, but there is a percentage tax that is charged on employers for each person up to a wage cap, and that's what funds unemployment. Okay, mm-hmm. and so it is it is an insurance scheme. It's kind of like car insurance, except it's job insurance. Well, that's fine. That's not inflationary because that money was taken out originally. But what they did during the pandemic was they paid you six hundred dollars a week to sit at home and drink beer. <laughs> so you produce no work, but you diluted the money supply. And the federal government went from approximately four trillion dollars a year worth of spending to over six. Well, what did you think was going to happen? That uh, you know, same thing with the rent moratoriums. Well, the people that didn't uh, didn't pay rent for those two years. What do you think they did with the money? Do you think they saved it? Of course they didn't. They went to the bar. Okay, I mean, <laughs> it, or, or or they bought something with it, right? It's gone, and so now, how is the government going to try to bail this out? What do you you want? Would you like your grocery prices to double again? Because this nonsense that they were doing with student loans that Biden tried to do and got killed by the Supreme Court. Um, I mean, another four hundred billion dollars. Well, okay, so now your grocery prices would have gone up another fifteen or twenty percent. But they would have said it was four or five, yeah. but it would have been twenty. And and. Every time that you do this, that's the result. Okay, so what makes you think, are you better off having gotten that $600 and drinking it when you look at what happened to the prices in the grocery store that you're now paying every week? I don't think so. Right. All right, but that's what we did. And the problem is, if they try it again, it's going to have the same effect. Well, I don't think, you know, I think that's a bad trade. Now, uh, you know, Jerome Powell essentially told Congress his last, just recently when he was in front of them, they asked him whether or not you know Congress needed government needed to stop spending money, and he said, "That's not my job. Mm-hmm. My job, my job isn't to tell you how to set fiscal policy. My job is to regulate the money and credit system based upon the policy you set." Okay. Well, it's not the Fed's fault. It's Congress's fault. Go talk to these guys. They're the reason it happened. They're the reason it's happening now. So let me ask you a question. Like, okay, now we're so fiscal and monetary policy, as I always said in the past, you know, when it collides, that's when everything will hit the fan. Like, and it'll become obvious that uh, there's no turning back. And that's where I guess clearly we're at that point now. And so we just come off that debt, you know, fiasco that uh they would they try to draw to the very last minute and so within the last i think couple of weeks now since they've gone through that we're close almost a tr- almost to a i think seven eight hundred billion has been borrowed and then also they're concerned with you know what's happening with china as far as china possibly dumping it or not as the article shows says you're not paying uh on their debt obligations so moving forward if they're quote-unquote fighting inflation <laughs> with this hiking stuff that they're supposed to be doing as well there is no way to untangle or unravel this. 
And so in your opinion, what should people do and what can people do to protect or preserve or hinder the impacts of what is already unfolding right now, if at all? Well, you can't do anything about inflation other than taking your congressperson, whoever it is, and your two senators and drag them out of their office by their hair. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, it wasn't all that long ago, almost 250 years ago, that we decided that we'd had enough of this garbage out of Britain over a tax on tea, mm -hmm. among other things. Mm -hmm. Right. There was a much smaller percentage of the total, uh, you know, on a percentage basis, the tax was minuscule. It was tiny. It was a few percent. Yeah. Now, half plus, if you look at federal, state, local and all of the, you know, sales taxes, everything else that you pay, well over 50 percent for most people uh, ends up being absorbed by the government. And it's extremely inefficient because we have a, uh, you know, 20 some trillion dollar economy and six trillion of it is the government. Well, wait a minute. How, do, how, how come the economy isn't only 12? If the government is, is taking roughly 50% of your earnings and all earnings are people, right? Because corporations, mm -hmm. you know, the corporations just filter earnings through a bunch of others, right? When, when you have a corporation, every dollar that MCSnet made, somebody spent, a person spent that money, okay? Yeah. Same thing today. When you, I don't care how big the company is, it makes no difference. A person spent the money that goes into that company's bank account. And so that person had to earn the funds in some way first, which means they had to produce something. Or you can borrow it, but then you have to produce it later. Well, now we're finding out that the later is today. And this means that you can't stay ahead of this you know, people say, well, you know, buy stocks because they will go up in an inflationary environment. Well, maybe. Um, I mean, historically speaking, uh, you know, does it do you any good if if the stock market in Argentina is up 50 percent, but the cost of living is doubled? No, you still lost. Right. All right. Um, can you put leverage on and try to do that? Yes, you can. But then if you get the timing wrong, you don't just lose your capital, you lose everything. You get wiped out because the losses get multiplied along with the gains. And so that's not a strategy. The strategy is to stop doing the stupid things that we've been doing. But that means that people are going to have to, to decide that, well, you know what, there is no such thing as a free lunch and, and the government needs to stop doing this sort of stuff. And then we have to enforce that. How do we do that? Uh, well, it could get kind of messy. And, uh, and frankly, I don't see the will among the American public to do any of it. So I, I think the best you can do is get away from high cost areas and high cost things. Because, you know, a 50% increase in your tax burden in an area where, you know, for example, property tax, okay, I saw my parents home, their value essentially get destroyed by this ramp uh, over the space of 20 years or so, the property tax burden went up by 300%. Well, okay, but if it started at, at you know thousand dollars a year and it and it doubles, now it's two thousand dollars a year. Okay, that's that that's that's not good, right? But if it started at ten thousand dollars a year and doubles, you may be bankrupt. Yeah. So you have to pay attention to where you live and what you do and what the the exposure level is. Because I can't I can't stop the government from doing stupid things, but what I can do is cut my personal burden down in the things that I have to buy from them in that if the prices ramp, I'm still going to, I'm still not going to like it. Okay. But I'm not in the street. 
Good point. Good point. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on as things unwind, more chaos is exposed in the financial markets, both globally as well. Uh, the response might end up being some central bank digital rebranded currency that everyone now is talking about. And so this past weekend, we had the Fed now, July 1st, officially launched, which is the interbanking payment network that's supposed to be real time, all that good stuff like that. Do you think a lot of that, uh, for the formation of all those things are being set up for after this next event or the dominoes that drop there is going to come out with a solution in the form of a CBDC and the UBI format and things of that nature as their solution to the problem that they created or, or what? Or will, no, it, will I, it even work? Will it be? Will it even work? Well, it won't work. And that's why I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think that's I don't think they'll do it simply because it doesn't do anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, do recall that you don't see it because you don't interact with it. But if you wire money, say to buy a house or to mm -hmm. close a car deal or whatever, um, you've been using electronic, a, a central bank digital currency. It's called Fedwire and it's been around forever. All the Fed's doing with their, their new system is updating that to be something that's uh, actually has some security associated with it other than people. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. I mean, Fedwire is an archaic system that, that yes, they've updated it and you know done work on stuff. But the structure of it has, has not materially changed uh, all the way back to the days of teletypes. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, is, is this a, is this really that different? And, and, and by the way, you have one over in Europe, it's called Swift. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, there's these, these networks are there. You, China's, China's got one. I don't know how there's it, but this is, you know, the idea that they're, oh boy, we're going to do this all through, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. Okay. Um, but do I think it's going to have a material impact on, on ordinary people? No, not at all. Not at all. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, uh, I want to just highlight a couple of different headline stories that's trending as of today-ish this past week and get your thoughts on it, whether it's, it's legit or, or is it BS and then okay. expound upon it as to whether or not, you know, how, how, how truthful it is or how untruthful full it is so let me just uh bring some things up here we'll go through a couple real quick and i think this would be a fun way to get your analysis and thoughts on some things so as i pull up this first one here uh explain the us yield curve hits deepest inversion since 1981 what is it telling us so in your estimation what is it telling us uh well it tells us that we're out of rope and we're about to come up on the short end of it uh, which usually when you're uh, falling that's a very bad thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> the um the reason the yield curve inverts is because people believe that it will be cheaper to borrow on a longer period of time than on a shorter period of time. Okay. In other words, it's, mm -hmm. it, it will be less expensive to borrow in 30 years. Therefore, if you borrow money for 30 years, it will cost you less than if you want to borrow money for one year. That's all the yield curve says. Okay. When it inverts, it says borrowing for a short period of time is more expensive because we believe that rates will be lower further out. Why are rates lower? Typically because there has been a nasty recession. <laughs> okay. So that's the reason that that occurs. The, um, the problem with this analysis is that yes, it is, it is historically very steep. However, we haven't had that sort of a spike outside of wartime in the United States at any time in the modern era. 
Okay, so I mean, if you if you look at when we had this kind of expansion in credit supply, uh, you're talking about the greenbacks during the Civil War. Okay, we don't have. Uh, I mean, you know, that, international trade was a tiny fraction of what it is now. Uh, you know, there's a thousand things. There were no computers, of course. You know, things like this. We live in a completely different world. So exactly what the impact of that coming back out, and it needs to. Um, and, and by the way, the only time that we have had this kind of a contraction in credit supply was when the greenbacks were repudiated after the Civil War. Mm, a little historical lesson right there. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, it's been it's been a, it's been a long time. OK, yeah. and, and we lived in a different world then. So. <laughs> All right. So the next one here says bankruptcy filings surge in the first half of 2023 in the U.S. is epic. Is it just the beginning or are there are a lot more to come? Oh, there's there's a huge amount. I mean, people, you look at the credit that people have taken out just over the last year or so, the, the level of, of credit spending and the, the savings that have been spent down uh, in in a wily e. Coyote type of, oops, I'm off the cliff, but gravity hasn't got me yet kind mm -hmm. of action. I mean, it's insane. And to, to believe that this isn't going to lead to a, a wave of bankruptcies, uh, you're out of your mind. I mean, it, the, the people who, you know, just as we were talking about earlier, the people who got in over their skis on these Airbnb deals in places like this, like this mm -hmm. area, th there's not one in 10 of the people borrowed money to, to acquire those places in the last two years that's going to be able to make those payments. Hmm. Yeah, very true. So there's a lot more to come. The Hill, China is in default on trillions of dollars in debt of U.S. bondholders. Will this, will this, will the U.S. force repayment? Um, well, I haven't, I haven't dug into that story in detail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Problem I have with all of the media today is that who's, okay, China is in default. Who's, who are we talking about? Private parties in China or the Chinese government? Very different things. Okay. Um, how does the U.S. force repayment? <laughs> Are uh, you planning on? Go, yeah, they usually go and uh, and and invade, take over, come up with some type of excuse to. Uh, I was going to say, I, I, yeah, <laughs> are, are are we talking about sending a few divisions over there to uh, go get the money? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Good point here. Oh man. So yeah. So and that's where with that headline there. You know, apart from it just being a focal point that people are talking about on, on the mainstream media, I thought I would just throw it out there to see. But yeah, we know usually how that ends, and I don't think you know the U.S. will have the um, they'll have the kahunas to actually do that in a typical fashion like they have in the Middle East and everywhere else. So. I don't well, think that'll be the case. Uh, yeah, I don't even know that we've done much of it with the, in the Middle East when you really get down to it. I mean, we've we've blown off an awful lot of ordinance. We've spent an awful lot of money. We've shot an awful lot of people. Yeah. But, uh, you know, last time I checked, uh, we didn't go into Iraq and take uh, however many billions of dollars we spent prosecuting that war and go take the oil to pay for it, did we? Right. We could have. We didn't. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Here's the last one. I'll get your thoughts on this. And so this is about the student loan situation you hinted earlier. But million of U.S. borrowers brace for the return of student debt payments. And so with this headline here, that's going to be more of a pinch on consumers outside of all the other things, you know, increased costs and living and things of that nature. And so will this 
be something that uh, will be very problematic come this next election cycle that the politicians will use to play into their advantage of needing more government involvement in their lives or what? What are you thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, the Biden administration is already trying to figure out how to get around the Supreme Court ruling. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they have some they have some room in the Education Act to do that, and they're going to use it. Uh, the The stupidity of this is that the entire reason we have this mess with student loans is that the government forced the private credit system out completely during Obama's years. Okay, it was part of the part of what happened when Obamacare was passed was that the 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 federal government essentially became the underwriter and the guarantor of all student debt. Okay, prior to that, it was not. Um, however, don't hold him entirely responsible because during Reagan's time in office and during Bush's times in office, the two of them, uh, there were changes made to bankruptcy code, which made student debt non-dischargeable. Okay, so the underwriting uh, went away because nobody cared whether you wanted to take a degree in, uh, you know, in, in uh, the history of Rwanda. <laughs> okay, right. uh, what, what, are, what are the job prospects for somebody that has a master's in uh, the history of Rwanda? Well, I suspect, uh, other than being a professor, not very good, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the issue is that the cost of going to school has gone up at the rate five times that of inflation. Um, you used to, when I, when I was of appropriate age to do that in the early 1980s, uh, you could literally spin pizzas and go to a state school and pay for it. You might do the first couple of years in a community college to keep the cost down a little bit, but you could actually put yourself through school with no debt. Okay. Now I quit, uh, after a couple of years because I was making more money writing computer software than it was costing me to go to school. And it mm -hmm. seemed like it was a poor investment even then. Okay, today it would be a crazily bad investment. Um, but the only way you're ever going to fix this problem is to force the credit system back into the private sector. And then the colleges are going to have to, to figure out how, you know, explain this to me. You used to have to have huge libraries and all the infrastructure to support that. Mainframe computers were extraordinarily expensive. So if you wanted to teach any kind of computer engineering or programming, you had to have those. These were not cheap. Now mm -hmm. I have a computer in my hand that has more power than the mainframe that I used to use when I was in school. Um, and I can have any kind of information to learn anything, no matter what it is, on that screen in my hand. And every single person in this country from the age of about five has one of those things in their hand. Right. So why is it that a college education isn't one-fifth the price that it was in 1980 instead of six or seven times the rate of inflation more expensive? If the infrastructure doesn't need to be there anymore, all you need is to pay a person, a professor, to to actually provide the instruction, which by the way is optional too, because he doesn't have to curate anything. I can find it. If I want to learn calculus, I don't need to go take a class in calculus. I can sit down at a computer and I can teach myself calculus. As long as I can read, I can learn anything. And that was not true without undergoing a great deal of travel and, and time and expense before. Now today it is. Yeah. So that yeah, this is a huge problem. But you know what? Trying to make the, the debt go away is impossible. 
you can't make it go away. Somebody has to pay it. Now, if you wanted to have Congress, which is what the Supreme Court said, they said, if you're going to do this, Congress has to do this. The executive cannot do this. If Congress does this, your grocery prices are going to double again. But is that going to be a main feature in the upcoming elections? You bet it is. And and people need to understand, if you support any kind of activity in this area, other than those people who took the debt on, have to pay it back, period. Mm-hmm. If you support that, what you're doing is you're voting for higher grocery prices and higher insurance costs and higher construction costs and higher medical bills and higher everything else. Mm. That's the truth. Yeah, that's well, that is 100 percent the truth. And unfortunately, the majority, the masses don't won't see it that way, unfortunately, just because when politics is involved, they have their own personal emotional feelings and their attachment to their certain yeah. parties. But yet here we are now. Um, so Carl, I'm curious, as we draw towards the end, uh, we have what about six months or less left in this year. What are some things that you think might play out? Give us some projections, forecast of things that might play out that uh, the viewer should keep an eye on and, and any opportunities out there in the investment world that people can also do some research for themselves and hopefully take advantage of as well. I think uh, as we get towards the end of the summer, you might be wanting to buy puts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the the um, the PPI data has some extremely ominous signs in it from us on the services side. Uh, I follow that because the the consumer price index is, of course, you know, final prices, but it takes a year or so, six months to a year, for what's in the PPI to filter into the CPI. Mm-hmm. And the PPI is much less detailed, okay, but they do track uh, transportation, trade, warehousing activity. That's one of the that's one of the subcategories, and there is an enormous contraction going on in that area right now. Uh, it's it, you know, one month doesn't mean anything to me. When I, the time I get to three, when you get to three months, okay, now I've got a trend here, all right? Because mm-hmm. there's the data is very noisy, so and it comes out every month, but it is very noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after three months, you start you know, it makes your hair stand up a little bit. Uh, so I would say that that the probability of a very significant recession in the back half of this year is is quite high. Uh, the market is acting like there's absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, that means the protection right now is quite cheap, which is good if you want to buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants to buy it because happy days are here again and nothing bad is ever going to happen. And I, I, oh boy, I mean, uh, you know, I I see the real estate side, the cracks showing up in places that are very tourist heavy, but it's going to spread. Um, the, the problem is you have a stuck market. And the reason the market is frozen is because everybody who had a, any kind of case to refinance during the years of the pandemic did it and is sitting on a 3% mortgage. Mm-hmm. If they sell their house and move, they can't take it with them. Now they have to get a 6 or a 7% mortgage. Nobody's going to do that voluntarily. All right. So the problem that you have is that normally when there's a recession, what occurs is that you get a lot of migration from places that wherever the the part of the economy that undergoes the worst of it. So, you know, in 2000, it was the tech, you know, in the tech sector. It was the it was the building and housing sector in 2007. Whatever sector gets hit the worst, people move away from those areas and into one that is not impacted. And that's how they personally mitigate their risk. The problem with doing that today is mobility for those people who are who own homes and did take those refinances is essentially zero. So you're going to see ripple effects throughout the economy that are going to be very, very hard to isolate out. And I and frankly, I 
I don't think we're getting away with this one. Uh, the government will certainly try, and being that we're coming into an election season, uh, you know, that's, that's oh boy. Um, but I will note that historically speaking, the third year of a president's term uh, is typically the best for, the, for equity markets. Mm-hmm. So by saying I'm expecting trouble in the back half is, is to go against the trend, okay, in a big way. Because if you look at that historically, that has historically not been a good call. Okay, and 2007, which was the year preceding, even though we had all the signs of, you know, hell on earth about to be launched on us in 2008, uh, 2007 really, from a, from a market point of view, wasn't a bad year. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. 2008 was, but yeah. yeah, but 2007 wasn't. So, you know, will, will people try to glad hand it and get through into, you know, into next year before things really come apart? Yeah, they, they will. But I, I just, I don't see that we've got another twelve months worth of rope on this. I really don't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Carl, it's always it's great to connect with you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and opinions and analysis on a variety of subject matter here. I threw your way. Uh, for those who might want to plug into more of your writings and your work, can you point them to where you do your work and uh, so they can be a blessing to you? Yeah, market-ticker.org is the primary site. That's pretty much the only place I publish anything that's worthwhile. Uh, there is on the right-hand side, on the sidebar, a thing that says, the, see the things that they don't want you to read, that the media doesn't want you to read. Uh, you do have to check that area separately because it doesn't come up in the, in the main list. And that, again, is because there's this, uh, this thing about, well, we don't like some of the things you have to say, so we'll, uh, we'll suspend your monetization if you, uh, if you say them where we can you know, get to those. Um, but I, I'm not going to stop writing on what I think is important because it offends somebody who wants to spend ad money. Right. Right. Well, it used to be, it didn't matter. You know, so the funny thing is, is that when, when Google started doing this, they actually went back and flagged a bunch of my stuff that I'd written 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was why I segregated off the content because some of that material I thought was extremely important. I mean, I went from being quite overweight and gaining more and more weight to mm. not at all anymore, and now a, a better athlete and a faster runner than I was when I was seventeen, and I'm yeah. all, I'm sixty, okay, yeah, um, and and yet all of the articles I wrote on that, which was ten years ago now, uh, I was told that they you can't have advertising against those because they go against the the so called scientific consensus, which is that you have to eat all these vegetables and plants and and do not eat meat for by God, do not eat meat. It's terrible. It's for bad for the planet. It's bad for you. It'll give you a heart attack. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you follow their instructions and uh, you weigh 500 pounds and then you wonder why you're diabetic on top of it. They're cutting your toes off. Right. Uh, You know, I just, it, it boggles the mind that, that having a different opinion that you can actually back up with a physical change in your body. Okay, so I mean, you're not just talking out your butt. You've got results to show for it. Now, yeah, it's an anecdote. It's one. I'm one person, Um, Mm -hmm. but you can't do that on a site that is advertiser supported anymore. Ten years ago, nobody cared. It was fine. Having different opinions was part of America. Today, it's not. Right. And and last thing, uh, your flag. (laughs) I noticed it in the beginning, but I figure we'll end on that. And so. How long has it been flying upside down? <laughs> and you know what? What are you? What are you? What are you telling the world with that flag upside down? Uh, that's that is the international symbol for you are in serious distress. Yeah, and uh, and I flipped that over uh, the other way when the pandemic response 
uh, be, it became very clear to me that there was absolutely nothing intelligent about it. And mm -hmm. it was, and in fact, pretty much everything that we did was exactly backwards. Uh, there are a million dead people, you know, in mm -hmm. this country as a result of that. And it has nothing to do with people being unwilling to take experimental drugs either. It has to do right. with protocols where you paid for people to do things instead of paying for results. And, you know, I've never understood this, why we allow this in medicine. Um, and it's not just in medicine. We, we now do it in education, too. We pass people that can't, you know, can't make change for 20. OK, mm -hmm. but we say, well, you're 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 smart enough and you've mastered the material. You can have a high school diploma. We do the same thing in medicine. We had the, we had the pandemic. Why is it that the government didn't turn around and say, we'll, we'll give you a 20 every hospital. We'll give you a twenty thousand dollar bonus if that guy that comes in here with covid walks out on his own two feet. Mm -hmm. If he dies, you get zero. Boy, do you think they would have figured out how to solve the problem really fast? Yeah. They, they would have solved it plus some, but then again, they were paid and incentivized to, you know, hook them up to a, you know, a breathing tube to a, hook, and hook, give them. Well, hook you up to a ventilator, use this drug, use this drug. Don't, right. don't do anything else because if you do anything else, you don't get paid. Right. Okay. So, and, and then you have situations like the, the county hospital here. We only have one in our county, even though it's not mm -hmm. run by the county, it's private. Uh, they killed nine out of 10 people that went in there with COVID from June of, of uh, 21 through the end of the year, nine out of 10, 89%. I mean, wow. that's a, and, and that's state, state, that is a state database. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not somebody making stuff up. The state reported every day, admissions, deaths, whatever by County. Okay. Yeah. Well, my County only has one hospital. So, uh, how many people went to a hospital? Well, if you went to a hospital and you did it in this county, we know which hospital it was. How many people died? Well, <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, the data is the data. Right. And, the odds and, definitely were not in your favor <laughs> to go. So you uh, like a lot of people didn't go. I'll tell you what, if you if you know, if you told me that the odds of me, you know, not coming out of there nine and ten, I think I'd pass. Right. I got I got a better chance if I if I risk choking to death in my own house. Right. Yeah. Well, hey. We know how that uh, played out, and, and and of course that none of that was by accident. I, it's always intentional for much more sinister, demonic purposes. See, I, I, but we'll, I, I think it was just money. I, I that's that, I mean my yeah. point of view. Is I think money was the underlying factor for it. it money was yeah. the clear incentive for a lot of that craziness because a lot of people, even in the medical field, didn't believe in things, but they did it because they were concerned of their the repercussions that they didn't as far as their employment and everything in between. Oh, yeah. So oh, money was the primary motivator. Yeah. And, and, you know, and anyone that thinks it was just the Democrats, well, you know, who was it that uh, told us two weeks to slow the spread, huh? That turned right. into three years. Whose signature is on the uh, warp speed stuff, but I'll leave well, that at that. So, well, okay. and, well, and, 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 and who put 70% on federal spending? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Who did that? You know, don't point. forget folks. This is not just a one party problem. You will not solve right. it by changing the politician that happens to sit in the chair. Right. Hey, I agree. Well, as always, Carl, it's great to connect with you. We can go on forever, but I want to be respectful of your time. And uh, for those tuning in, thank you for blessing us with your presence. Hopefully you guys found some value in this discussion here. If you have, hit the thumbs up button, share this, and definitely check out uh, Carl at the market-ticker.org. And uh, yeah, looking forward to bringing you more interviews in the future. Once again, Carl, thank you for joining our RT interviews. No worries. Anytime. Thanks.